Hello, it is me, Adrian Lawrence, and it's been a wild day to follow on a wild week, but that's all right. I've got great information for you from two great guests. One of them who is joining us right now is Dr. Joanne Bagshaw. She's the author of the Feminist Handbook, also an award-winning professor of psychology and women's studies at Montgomery College, a certified sex therapist with a private practice in Maryland, and she runs a bomb blog. And we'll let her tell you about that. Thank you for joining us, Joanne. Hi, and thank you so much for having me. And Joanne, we know you're an expert in feminism, but before we really kind of dive into what that looks like in this political climate, a lot of people don't understand what feminism is and they think it's man-hating nonsense, mm -hmm. which we know that's not the case. So can you give us a real true definition of what feminism means? Absolutely, and I'm so glad you started with this question because so many people are confused about feminism. Feminism is a movement to end sexism and dismantle interlocking systems of oppression. So that means white supremacy, it means homophobia, classism, ableism, all of the ways that people experience oppression. And I, my definition that I use comes from Bell Hooks and Patricia Ho Collins, who are leading black feminists. And feminism is not about women's equality so much as it is access to equality for everyone. Uh, that is really cool, I like that. Especially because it informs me as someone who was just following the basic definition from the dictionary. And you know, when it comes to feminism, why is it so important that people really understand the role that gender and sex plays in our everyday society? Because it affects us every day, right? So our experience as women is uh, is shaped by society's understanding um, and, and our conditioning of what we think women should be. And that is also shaped by the intersections of our identities. So my experience of sexism as a white woman is probably very different than your experience of sexism as a black woman or any other person's experience of sexism along with their interlocking system. Or their identities. And it seems like sexism is such an ingrained part of our culture that we don't even notice so much of it that we experience and kind of weaponize on a daily basis. And someone who definitely knows a thing or two about sexism would be Hillary Clinton. Yes. And you know, since her 2016 win slash defeat for the presidency, there's been a series of movements of women using their voice, primarily women using their voice to push for change. Why do you think that this kind of feminism movement has had a resurgence in recent years? Sure, so absolutely the 2016 election has brought feminism to the forefront again. And that was the most notably with the Women's March, right? So that was in reaction to many of the things that Trump was saying, his sexist behavior, as well as his agenda and some of the policies that he was proposing. And women united, you know, at that march and said, "We're not going back. We don't, we don't want this, right? We want equal rights." Um, but you know, feminism as a movement is also flawed. And so as we saw in the Women's March, which was um, majority white women speaking out uh, about white feminism, um, which is different than the feminism that I talked about just a few minutes ago. So white feminism um, is a type of feminism that 
um, looks at equality as what it would be like for white women to be equal to white men. And it's toxic. And certainly anybody can be um, can be practicing white feminism, but obviously, you know, white women are most likely to be um, um, sharing that definition or idea of what feminism is, is that it's equal to my white male partner. Um, and what happens is that really leaves behind groups of people who are still marginalized and are able to access their resources. Uh, you know, and I know that one very well as a black woman. And I'm really glad that you brought that up, that aspect of white feminism, because we did see since these George Floyd protests and this call for greater equality and social justice, we saw a lot of black women come forward mm -hmm. and talk about their experiences in professional spaces, largely with Massage Noir, that intersection of racial and gender oppression, primarily against black women. And you know, it seemed that many of those black women were telling stories that actually were white women as the primary oppressors. Like mm -hmm. we saw with the organization you and I met at, The Wing, mm -hmm. having its downfall. Why do you think so many white women lash out or may mistreat black women in these professional spaces? Well, when we talk about oppression, we're talking about power. And white women in these situations are holding on to their power, which really comes from their racial identity. And so they're choosing race over gender. Over, you know, they may be saying, I am a proponent of gender equality, but really they're not because they're not using an intersectional lens and understanding their own oppressive behavior. They haven't done their own work around their own white privilege, which we saw was extremely toxic. At the wing, where they sold themselves as a feminist organization, but it, most of it was superficial or performative. Um, the same thing happened with Elizabeth Warren's campaign, where a number of black women who were working for the campaign left because the white women that were working at that campaign were treating them poorly. And what do you think is the message that white women need to hear to kind of really? For it to resonate in terms of the fact that it's not necessarily about putting your gender before your race or race before your gender, but about working together. Yeah, if you want equality, we have to have equality for everyone. When we let others rise up, we're all liberated, right? We can't just liberate one group. If your feminism is being equal to white men, then you're an oppressor because you are oppressing people who are below you, right? So if you, you know, no one is free unless everyone is free. And thank you for bringing up white men. Um, <laughs> the one that is definitely always really just taking over the news cycle would be Trump. And yesterday, he said that he's going to elevate Republican Senator Tom Cotton to the Supreme Court when he's given a chance to, assuming he gets, you know, reelected in November. And upon hearing this news, of course, one of the first things Cotton did was tweet, it's time for Roe v. Wade to go. How do you think this attack on abortion rights is gonna play out in November? Oh, I think it's it's gonna it's gonna be raised in November and ongoing, right? So anti-choice groups have been attacking abortion rights. Um, and it's been increasing, and they're trying to um, make us a, a conservative majority in the Supreme Court. And I do want to point out that recent Supreme Court cases have affirmed our right to abortion and 
our right to access abortion, but that we should not be relaxed about it. We should not um, just uh, think that Roe versus Wade will always remain. We have to vote. We have to um, ensure that uh, we, you know, that we maintain women's rights uh, to to safe legal abortion. Yes, I think that's extremely important, and I know abortion rights is something that generally impacts those who are of lower financial means mm-hmm. and also generally people who are black and brown. And while white women will always, wealthy white women I should say, will always sure. probably have access to abortions, not everyone will. But I want to talk a little bit about your book, The Feminist Handbook, because we don't have that much time left. But I know that it's amazing and I happen to own it <laughs> myself. So can you tell us a little bit about your book? Sure, and thank you. So this book is a workbook designed for um, any reader to be able to identify with feminism through their own perspective. It has a lot of reflection questions. The book itself is a workshop, and if uh, it really helps you identify the structural causes and systemic causes for some of the struggles that women have, like anxiety, depression, PTSD, that are all related to living in a patriarchal culture and sexism. And I also know, which I think is super cool, you being a sex therapist. And I know (laughs) you are accredited and you deal with trauma, you're very informed. And kind of you know this whole COVID environment, as well as having essentially a lot of this trauma that's being forced upon us with the political climate. What are you seeing people go through that you can, of course, you know, expound upon? I'm seeing families really struggling with stress and trying to work and take care of young children, particularly for moms where the burden is on them to choose between work, choose between work and homeschooling their children or supervising their children's online education. And it's very stressful, it's very stressful on families. And you know, I think we're hearing a lot about that and people, you know, sharing their experiences on Twitter, which can be a very scary place, particularly <laughs> right now. But if people are on Twitter, where can they find you? Please look for me on Instagram at Joanne Bagshaw. Okay, so you're on Instagram at Joanne Bagshaw. And what is your website? JoanneBagshaw.com. Fabulous. And is there any closing notes you'd like to offer the people? Vote, (laughs) please. (laughs) I fully respect and appreciate that. Thank you so much, Dr. Bagshaw. Joanne, you are wonderful. I appreciate you you coming on. Glad to be here. Thanks. That was a great conversation. And I have another one for you. This time it is Eddie Kim. He's a features writer for Mel Magazine. He's covered everything. From homelessness to the racism epidemic, this man has got it all. And recently he penned an important piece on child trafficking conspiracies. Eddie, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Adrian. So Eddie, you know, these conspiracies, they seem to be everywhere right now. This whole QAnon thing, it seems like it's the latest grab. And for those who are unfamiliar, QAnon, it's a far right conspiracy theory alleging that groups of Satan worshiping kind of celebrity pedophiles are running a global child sex trafficking ring and plotting against Donald Trump. Now, why do child trafficking conspiracies blur the lines between real life and this fringe extremism? Well, for some context, we have to go back to 2016. And you may have remembered something called Pizzagate. And it's the same exact sort of conspiracy where there was allegations of Democratic power people 
um, including Hillary Clinton and John Podesta, uh, having influence and running sort of child sex rings. And you know, the conspiracy in 2016 was that it was in DC pizza shops. And it actually led to someone taking an assault rifle, walking into that pizza shop and, and shooting rounds thinking that they were saving children. So fast forward to 2020, and we have a very similar issue where, again, the Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell trial has broken open a lot of this paranoia. And that's where the real facts and the real crisis is getting blurred with a lot of these conspiracy theories about, you know, they call Hollywood pedo wood, for instance, or they say that Democratic candidates are speaking in code and allowing these crimes to happen. They connect legislation like FOSTA-SESTA regarding sex work and those protections as allowing for exploitation. So it's a very complicated sort of network happening here. And I think what's sort of brought my attention to this story is seeing not conspiracy accounts, not far right obvious accounts, but lifestyle bloggers, Instagram models, people who just sell you know wellness products, t-shirt designers. These folks on social media have been sort of reposting, retweeting, and bringing up these conspiracies without saying the word Pizzagate necessarily, without saying, "Oh, I am a far right whatever. Um, so that's why it's getting so blurry and why it's so complicated and why regular people are sharing posts about child trafficking thinking they're doing a good thing when they're actually re sort of posting this rhetoric that is um, very, very embedded in the far right and this belief in a powerful deep state. Wow, Eddie, um, this it, it really seems just unbelievable just how uh, far people's minds are going with this. And you talked about these influencers, these lifestyle bloggers who are out there almost planting these seeds. I'm guessing those individuals know what they're doing. Uh, would you say so? You know, it's a complicated question. I mean, many, many times I think they know what they're doing. I've seen advocate organizations opening up without any sort of background in child abuse expertise and treatment, sort of opening and saying, hey, we have a PayPal for donations and you know, support us at rallies and things like that. So that is one part of what I call this grift that is very much conscious. Now, other people are sharing this information, believing they're taking part in a big protest movement. And I think we can't ignore the whiteness of QAnon and these conspiracy supporters. When you see QAnon rallies happening in places like Hollywood, you know, as one source told me, it feels like folks are trying to take part in protests, but not protests regarding racism or policing or justice and injustice, but rather this crisis that they believe, you know, a lot of these accounts are saying COVID and wearing masks is a distraction. It's a cover up for, you know, this child abuse. Um, they're saying that Black Lives Matter is, is a false flag operation to try and distract. So that's where a lot of it is. It's not just innocuous, oh, I believe what I believe. It is a discrediting of other things too. And you know, it's happening on all levels, not just people who know what they're saying and really believe that they're trying to get one off on people, but others who just think that they're doing the right thing. And that's what's scary about QAnon. That is very scary. And you had brought up the whiteness of it all. I'm I'm really kind of almost uncertain as to why this is gripping white people so much. Is it kind of like they just don't have an issue to focus on or something to do? You know, I think that when you see so much unrest, a lot of folks are either attracted and empathetic to issues like anti-blackness and 
corrupt policing. And others see that movement and think I need to attach myself to something that sort of is a different angle. Or is knowledge that isn't in the mainstream. So again, a lot of times these posts come with this big advisory. The media is not talking about this. Everyone says that when they are posting this QAnon content and QAnon adjacent content. So the idea here is that, oh, I have value because I'm talking about something that the mainstream is avoiding. And that is very, very attractive, especially for people who see this out of control world. All this chaos, all this economic unrest and political unrest. And they say, well, what's gonna make sense here? And for a lot of folks, this QAnon conspiracy makes the most sense. They believe that they're being enlightened to something that is not obvious. And um, that's, a, that's a very human emotion for better and worse. Uh, it's, it's really unfortunate in part because you want to support people in doing something that supports humanity, but at the same time, you kind of got to draw a line at a certain point. And these things like Pizzagate, you know, QAnon, and so on and so forth, it's, um, it really doesn't seem to be within the realm of fact or reality. Right. Uh, but it is something that seems very persuasive when we look at politics. And there was a recent study that came out that said about 56% of Republicans reportedly think that some aspect of the conspiracy theory of QAnon is true. And it seems to be really grabbing people on the far right, as we discussed, and primarily white people. How are you seeing these conspiracy theories being leveraged against the left? So I think a concerning trend is more and more elected officials and people who are elected or political candidates are leveraging this audience, right? So by one report, there are more than 70 candidates in this electoral cycle who have either acknowledged or pledged support for QAnon groups. There was a new AP exclusive earlier today that showed Vice President Pence is meeting with a big QAnon backer. So obviously there is a game plan here, much like there was around the Tea Party and the very extreme rhetoric many years ago. So I think that this will continue to get worse and worse or just more visible as we near the election in November. And I think that it's extremely complicated because you know it's no coincidence that they're talking about child abuse. Children are something that everyone cares about um, to one some degree or another. And I think that makes this especially um, attractive as an issue to care about. Um, and I spoke to a, an advocate named Nola Brantley who's been working for as a child advocate for more than a decade. She started a nonprofit in Oakland to help child sex trafficked victims. Um, and what she pointed out to me is that you know these conspiracies imagine children being locked up in Wayfair cabinets or snatched off the street. And in reality, a lot of this sex exploitation comes from, as Nola Brantley told me, generational trauma, systemic racism, economic distress, a lack of an education system that supports poor black and brown girls. You know, these issues are not being discussed in the QAnon rhetoric as being the causes of this. It's more Donald Trump is revealing a secret and he's gonna save the world, which it's you know, it's an easy solution to a much more complicated answer, if you will. Wow, um, I'm, I'm still really perplexed by all of this. And I do find it rather ironic, uh, this thought that you know, caring about children, yet we have this gun control issues and you know, shootings at schools that is not being changed or rectified in any way. 
Society's elected officials and the people aren't really doing much to change it. But I do understand there are a lot of people out there who do want good things for this country. And since you are in the media journalism landscape and you've been able to see a lot that is going on outside of these conspiracy theories, what issue do you think is not getting the attention it deserves to get in the media yet is extremely important, particularly with this election coming up in November? You know, as dorky as it may sound and as dry of an issue as it may be, I think with the anniversary of 9-11 coming up again, we have taken our eyes off foreign policy. You know, a lot of domestic unrest is the important priority because it's America. But I think this is a really good time with this 9-11 anniversary to reflect on the fact that we still have wars in the Middle East that have been going on for nearly 20 years. Um, and I think, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't get the attention that it should, because um, right now we're sort of careening toward the most chaotic election season that I've ever experienced. So um, yeah, I think that's something worth keeping an eye on. Again, even if let's say Joe Biden wins this presidency. Absolutely, I think if Joe Biden wins that we are going to return to some state of normalcy and we'll be able to address things hopefully abroad since things here are absolute chaos. But for the people who are here, can you tell them where to find you? Well, you can find me at Eddie, E-D-D-I-E, Kim X, all one word on Instagram, on Twitter. And please check out our work at Mel Magazine. We've been reporting heavily on QAnon, on red pill conspiracies, on masculinity in 2020. And I'm very proud of the work we do there, so. Awesome, thank you so much. Eddie Kim, Mel Magazine, check him out. Thank Thanks you, Thanks for Adrian. coming, Eddie.